0: Welcome. My name is Papa Baden and this is the In Our Hands podcast.
1: Sunlight is the best
0: disinfectant. The moment the light shines in a part of your supply chain where you really have no control or no idea what you're doing. You can see the problems around them you. and want to do something about about this you and can have they different they degrees of know exactly knowledge, to
1: ownership know in the Bitcoin network. The maximum people degree are because at the end of the day, it doesn't make too much difference means. to put your waste in the bean or the other. Are are people willing yeah. to the consume significantly less? Is
2: the fact that
1: authenticity? Is key. I just added, I agree entirely with that, that's actually a very,
0: uh, very sophisticated response. <laughs> um, it was yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. In this episode, I'll be talking about Africa, social impact, and legitimacy with Professor Michael Odu and Adam Asane. Hope you enjoy it.
2: I appreciate it too. Very good questions. Excellent. By well, thank you. And thank you for organizing this podcast. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much.
0: Could I start by doing a brief introduction? Is that okay? What you do and uh, where you work?
1: Uh, My name is Michael Adder. I'm a professor of law at the University of Notre Dame Global Gateway here in London and until about... July of this year, uh, I was a member of the United Nations Working Group on Business and Human Rights, um, a working group on which I served for seven years. And before coming to Notre Dame, I'd been professor at the University of Exeter in England. Before then, um, I actually worked in Ghana and a legal officer of the prison service. Uh, My main interest, of course, is in human rights. But more recently in human rights and business. I'll a short introduction.
2: So, uh, for me, uh, my name is Adam Asane. I'm currently uh, co founder of the um, Moleskine Foundation. Uh, the Moleskine Foundation is a relatively new organization that mainly deals with quality education and art and culture for, for social transformation. In a nutshell, we try to understand how we can use creativity to stimulate three main skills in youth: that is, uh, critical thinking, creative doing, and lifelong learning. Before that, I used to work for the UN in a not very well-known agency, but I think uh, interesting in some of its avenue. That is called WIPO, that is the World Intellectual Property Organization. I know. Um, before. You know what, white is. Thank you. <laughs> There's not many, but but it was an interesting, was an interesting experience there, where in using I would say unconventional element for the non-profit world, uh, to, to or, or like I would say like conventional uh, tools that happen in the profit world, let's put it in this way, in in a social impact uh, non-profit environment, uh, in this case was intellectual property. Uh, so that was very interesting and formative years. Then before that. I did, uh, I did business school, and I did business school, I would say, almost as a reaction to my involvement for, for three years in rural development and, and emergency relief field. I worked for a little bit more than three years in Uganda, uh, in northern Uganda, um, and, um, and that you know, was one side an extremely interesting experience um, and extremely formative, uh, really, I think, one of the best years of my life. Um, at the same time, it was one of those years in which really made me think about um, what type of approach I wanted to, uh, to try to uh, explore more in terms of uh, social impact. Um, so, uh, so basically, this is kind of my reverse uh, biography, you know, starting, starting from Uganda, no, well, before I started political science in Italy, in Milan uh but uh started from Uganda you know and then and then changing a little bit like from Uganda, I would say my exploration of different ways to uh to deal with social impact somehow started and, and expanded and then now you know this is a moment in which I'm mainly focused on uh on education and um art and culture as a way to instill you know some of those skills that i was that was mentioning before. Wow, two very diverse. I think. Oh, tell me, tell me. Yeah, I think, sorry, I think so, so, something that I should I should add is that, you know, in a way or another, uh, you know, the the African continent, the African space in a general way is something that, um, you know, has been uh, extremely important in, in my professional life. Of course, personal, you know, because I'm uh, half Italian and half a quarter Gambian and a quarter Senegalese. Um, so that's, uh, that's, of course, is something that is, that is connected to me personally. But then on a professional, uh, professional level, I think one of the most important experiences that I had were all connected to the continent in various ways. Um, so, uh, so I think this is something that, um, that it was worth mentioning.
0: What's the best example of lasting positive impact you've seen from the private sector? And then, like, w- why? Why did it work, and, and why is that the best example for you?
1: It's not so easy to, to have uh, some of the best examples, um, but I do have one in mind. It's the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. These are private tomato farms in the United States, southern United States in Florida, to be precise, who have created um, a sort of a program in which they work with their workers to ensure the respect of human rights. Now this, of course, is the product of it. But it's a product that grew out of about 10 years of evolution. And if you cast your mind back, most of these farms use undocumented migrants. Most of these farms use farmers through uh, gangmasters. And most of these farms pay patents. The tomato farmers, on the other hand, decided this was not particularly helpful. So with the support of the the workers, they created a a framework in which um, the workers will be trained for them to apply directly for uh, employment on the farms, and so removing the gangmasters. And for those who, because they are undocumented, cannot be paid through the bank, the farmers have gone to their own banks to arrange for some of these checks to be cashed directly. They have also succeeded in lobbying the, the state Congress to ensure that some of these workers at least do not get any kind of harassment from immigration and, and, and uh, the police. But what is particularly successful about the coalition of emoke workers is that they set up in agreement with all farmers and funded by the farmers an independent grievance mechanism headed by a trained judge, a very experienced judge, with investigators and lawyers who have been mandated to um, go onto these farms and look up or or, or ask any questions that they, they really feel raise any kind of difficulties. And that the decisions of what is then called the Fair Food Council. That's what they call the, the tribunal. The decision of the Fair Food Council is binding on the farm and then the farmer will do that. So they've come up with decisions requiring you know, um, the arrest and prosecution of um, employees or employers, uh, representatives who have harassed workers or intimidated workers of cause wage losses. They have also included requirements Mandatory training for the entire hierarchy of the farm, which they have com- complied with. They have also mandated the payment of compensation for workers whose rights have been violated, and so on. Then there is another dimension to this successful process. They have now decided to ensure the respect of human rights through their entire supply chain. So nobody gets to buy tomatoes from the farms unless they also commit to respect human rights. And so they've got big operators like Burger King, McDonald's, Walmart signed fairly recently um, to sign up to the uh, agreement to respect human rights. And in addition, each one of those buyers will contribute one cent for every bucket of tomatoes that the workers pick. And this then accumulates into something like $100 million to be used for health care and all forms of social support for the workers. Now, truly, in all its dimensions, in terms of awareness, in terms of respect for human rights, in terms of grievance mechanisms in the event of failure, the system is almost complete. As, it's as perfect as it ever comes, uh, as far as I've, I've known. So that's just one of the best examples that I've come across.
0: Stunning. What was the name of the, um, of the, of the initiative, sorry?
1: It is the Coalition of Imugle, IMUG. Spelled I M O K A L E, Coalition of Immokalee Workers, or under the, the grievance mechanism, is called the Fair Food Program. Thank you
0: very
2: much.
1: I, I think that was a great that was a great
2: example. Um, I think what um, what come to mind to me uh, is an experience I just recently have uh, had, and um, it's about Nando's. Uh, in South Africa, uh, and because it's fresh, I want to share it because I thought it was very interesting. Um, you know, Nando has a very interesting program uh, related to the art um, and creativity, and, uh, and they run since many years a program related to, you know, the uh, art education uh, and, um, uh, and, uh, and in general, like, boosting creativity to various programs in youth uh, in South Africa and beyond. The the interesting thing, you know, besides Nando's being one of the biggest, if not the biggest collector of young artists in South Africa, what I found interesting here is in the approach. And, uh, you know, Michael Porter a few years ago, you know, coined the term share value, where there is no more necessarily oppositional dichotomy between uh, profit from, from a company and uh, um, social impact. And, and I think that Nandos interpreted this in an in a interesting way. Nandos is a South African company. Few people know about it, you know, but in the way they integrated the arts and culture in their own brand and in their own activity, they did it in a way as it is not some, you know, external CSR program that uh, can be also very good and positive, but it also has like a, a time limit or resource limit connected to that. They integrated to the brand because the brand value of Nando's is 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 directly related to uh, to the local cultural scene, and so they found different ways and they, they created different programs in which they can they they basically boost and interact with the local with the local art and cultural scene, and that basically becomes part of their own business. It becomes part of the. Um, uh, you know, part of their restaurants around the world. And that makes it very difficult for anybody else around the world to to copy, to replicate the Nando experience. And uh, interesting enough, they also did it in their headquarters. You know, the headquarters in Johannesburg is not in a great neighborhood, you know, and instead of going there and, you know, A, move to a, to a richer neighborhood uh, by bringing out the resources uh, that they were creating, you know, there, but B, also, like, staying there and investing too heavily in a too um, top-down way uh, in the neighborhood, therefore, like, created, like, a huge gentrification. True, also, uh, not only Nando's, but a number of also family offices around the company. They started using impact investing to create, again, share values ways because, of course, you know, if their headquarters is more, uh, interesting, engaging, you know, they have uh, great impact in terms of uh, staff retention and, and so on and so forth, and staff motivation. But at the same time, they have a way to create like a more diffuse impact and, uh, and benefits, you know, of the surrounding community. So I think in this case, you know, again, the, the lesson learned that I take out from, from this experience, it's really about trying to figure out Ways in which there is there is no dichotomy. There is no strong. There's no dichotomy. There's no strong choices that we have to make between that a company has to make between creating impact, social impact, and uh, and and maximizing profits. And lastly, I would say that the current situation of the market uh, and when you when you look at the consumer behaviors, uh, the both millennials and now Generation Z. You know they're all quite keen on on having their values connected to the companies the, or to the products of the companies that the, that, that they that they're buying, and um, and they tend to reward those companies that reflect their value. They tend to punish your, those companies that don't reflect their values. But the interesting element in all this is the fact that authenticity is key to produce. Um, uh, to, to actually be credible in the market and so created, you know, a real uh, uh, share value um, context in a way that it, is, it should be, um, how can I say, advantages, <laughs> advantageous uh, for the company to be more engaged in society and being able to really uh, make, an, make an impact uh, locally.
0: So those are two incredible answers, and I, I guess I kind of hear a little bit of a resonance between the two. But they both beg the question about visibility and communication to the to the outward stakeholders. I think in the example of the Amokli workers and their coalition, I heard that it was one of the highest visibility and uh, most well-rounded examples of of social impact and. I'm guessing my question about that is, of course, it's legally going to be communicated to other closest stakeholders. But what's consumer awareness of that like? With the Nando's example, it's clear how consumer awareness of it shows up. And uh, having, uh, you know, uh, recently just left um, the organization, I, I'm aware that Nando's is the biggest collector of uh, African art uh, outside of Africa. Uh, Apparently, they've got like over 7,000 pieces in their collection and it's all over the restaurant walls. They're operating in 23 countries. Like they know what they're doing. But that message isn't always at the forefront uh, with the customers of informing them of the deep story behind it. So what's consumer knowledge like on both sides of the examples?
1: Interesting enough, um, consumer knowledge of this uh, arrangement, surprisingly, is very minimal. Um, and we're talking about you and I going into Burger King or going to McDonald's or, or Walmart and buying tomatoes. It's very rarely um, sort of uh, advertised in that context. So most consumers are not particularly aware of this. But the wholesalers, if in themselves seen as consumers, are required to follow this. So in that to that. Extent those who are buying the tomatoes, um, of course because it's bulk buying, are aware of it. But beyond that, in terms of the ground, that brand is not very well known. I think most uh, farmers in the Immokalee Workers Coalition feel Mm -hmm. that it's much better to have that awareness within the supply chain in terms of the middle rather than to go down and expect the uh, consumers at the last point to put pressure back on the buyers because I suspect they find it a lot more valuable that they didn't put the pressure that the product when it hits the market has that um, pedigree. And for them, that's enough um, assurance. But I take the point that it could very well have a completely different impact if they advertised it. In a slightly different way to ensure that every consumer will then have the reassurance that if they're buying tomatoes from Walmart, they're very, uh, it's at least ethically sourced. Uh, but it's just that the farmers are not particularly concerned about making that kind of impact on, on consumers. They just want to make the impact um, on those um, likely to be more affected the workers uh, on the farms. So no, this one doesn't have much of beyond the uh, uh, bias uh, impact.
2: Look, this is this is one of the one million dollar questions. I mean, it's one of the ways to really figure out a way how to make this uh, the systems and, and and examples uh, work um, in, a, in a in a larger scale possible. And it's it is not an easy task. You know, I think generally speaking, consumer. It depends on the situation, you know. Uh, but in, in in some cases, you know, consumer awareness is extremely important. Um, I'm making out an example, that a bittersweet one, uh, is about Starbucks, you know, and the IP related fight that uh, uh, and battle that uh, local producer in Ethiopia, um, you know, started uh, to have. Uh, I think it was made I mean, 2000 around that period, if I'm not wrong, um, you know, that and it was that was a battle and a fight that uh, brought to the resign of the CEO of Starbucks. So it was a big deal and changed completely the, uh, the strategy that Starbucks had at the time. And at the time, you know, it was only Starbucks coffee, you know, and uh, Ethiopian. Farmers, uh, you know that where where this coffee was coming from. At some point, they were starting getting together, also thanks to the work of of some NGOs, you know, to get together, say like, no, that's our coffee, and it's our coffee, and then there is a reason why you like that coffee because you know there is certain features that comes exactly from uh, from these um, from these regions, and there is like uh, a millennial knowledge that that goes around uh, that goes around that. So. When, when this battle between Starbucks and farmers uh, started to break out, you know, the strategy of the farmers was clear, was to get to the consumers and say, "Look, this is our coffee," and the consumer has to know, because if the, if the consumer knows about it, then the farmers has a much higher possibility to, um, to negotiate prices for example, uh, and they have in any case, you know, just higher negotiation power. So, um, so in a way or another, you know, it is extremely important in some of this initiative, especially when it's connected with specific products that go in the market, you know, um, consumers, awareness of the consumer side is one of the, I think, uh, important elements to, to bring in your, your own strategy. Said that, you know, it's easier said than done as it is said and done. Um, I think in the case of Nando's, you know, it's a, it's a completely different situation in the case of the uh, tomato growers because, you know, of course, Nando's is a company. It's also like a privately owned company. There's a, There was a chance to kind of uh, uh, embed everything in, uh, you know, in, in one brand. And this basically by unifying uh, something that makes business sense. And uh, so basically the were elements of like an enlightened, Family, you know, was behind the brand. There was also some direct uh, market uh, commercial interest, uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, value proposition connected to the brand, you know, that would make this, that would make this possible. But, of course, you know, in the terms of coalition and when this, you know, is connected to more and more, you know, more companies, it's not easy especially now that there is a lot of greenwashing initiatives, there's a lot of uh, difficulties in really, uh, you know, differentiate between genuine proposal in this and and not that genuine uh, proposal to this. The the, the consumer is much more, I would say, educated in order to really kind of look for these type of elements. But at the same time, there's now almost sometimes an overflow of information, so it is difficult for this consumer to really understand what is right and what is wrong. And for a brand, if I think from a brand perspective, sometimes it is difficult to embed in in their marketing messages, you know, um, these elements in a in an effective way uh, because maybe your resources are not there, you know, or they're not properly there um, to really think this creatively uh, or to really build important strategies. So what I'm trying to say to make a, Long story long, since I've been speaking for too long. But uh, um, what I'm trying to say is that there is always something that is in between, you know, strategy and what things should be and what should be the path to follow in order to achieve certain, uh, certain goals. But then there is, I think that now we are in a phase that many of these strategies are already there. Many of these strategies and examples are, you know, we already have it in our literature or in our experience. Now, execution is, is one of the things that we really need to focus on. You know, it's not only about creating a consortium or a new brand or, or embedding like a, a social impact element you know, in a uh, in its, in its strategy, but it's how you be able to execute it you know, in order to really create a long last impact both for uh, the brand and especially for social impact. Side.
0: In the next episode, I continue my conversation with Professor Adu and Adam Asane to talk about trust in brands, sustainability labels, and who actually has legitimacy to pursue sustainability work in Africa. Hope you'll join us. This has been an absolutely interesting and useful conversation for me, so I really appreciate your time. Thanks, man.
2: It's a a pleasure,
1: honestly. Very interesting conversation. Thank you. you. Take care. See you guys. Have a lovely
0: day. Bye.
1: Bye. 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 Bye.